0: Hi everybody, welcome to Ancient Heroes, I'm Patrick Garvey. Today we're going to be talking about Netflix's new miniseries, Alexander the Making of a God, and I'm going to give my takeaways after just finishing the series a few nights ago. So, like many if not most of the high profile Netflix historical documentaries, this one has been controversial as well. I came in with a pretty low Bar, to be quite honest, a lot of skepticism about what this would be like. If you're wondering why, you can go back and look at some of the other episodes I've done on the Netflix shows. We had the Graham Hancock uh, series, which I'm not even going to go down that rabbit hole right now, but that was just littered with questionable content. Then we had the Cleopatra show, which was very controversial. Where they tried to make the case that Cleopatra was black, even though historical sources say that she was descended from Macedonians after uh, Ptolemy came in and and that dynasty took over Egypt. Um, so they were trying to inject a political and cultural narrative into you know modern political and cultural narrative into their documentary in a very sort of heavy-handed way, and that generated a lot of criticism. And so now we're on to the Alexander the Great documentary. Within, We'll jump into the, the major controversy here first. So within the first few minutes, there is a scene that lasts probably two, three, four minutes of Alexander the Great and his closest companion, Hephaestion, Standing in a stream or body of water of some sort, and they're kissing, and they're showing them clearly in a romantic intimate relationship now there's no sex scene or anything, but it's obvious they're you know that they're in a relationship or that they have had relations, so to speak um so this right away created some controversy online because the conservative quote unquote anti woke type people were. Saying, oh my gosh, here we go again. Netflix has gone woke. It's they're pushing the LGBT agenda on us, just like corporate America or whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know, the whole, you know, script with that. Um, so, anyways, um, right away there was clear pushback and there was even pushback from some conservative outlets. I found a, some commentary from the daily wire, which is a very conservative outlet to um, a, a woman saying, look, normally I would agree with you guys, but in this case, the historical sources actually say they may have been lovers. And so we really, this isn't the hill that we need to die on here. Um, and I basically, uh, agree that it's plausible that they were lovers. So I've written about this extensively on the on the ancientheroes.net blog. Um, there are a number of articles about Alexander and Hephaestion, the nature of their relationship. It's always been interesting to me. And after reviewing all the historical sources and really doing a deep dive on that, I came out of it with the thought that, yes, it's definitely possible that they were lovers, um, at least at one point in their lives. But there are also other possibilities. One possibility that I put out there as just a theory is that Alexander was had attraction to a Phishan, but they weren't necessarily in a relationship and that maybe it, that attraction wasn't reciprocal. And I lay out the reasons for that in an article on the website if you're curious in checking that out. But th- suffice to say, the ancient sources don't come right out and say definitively that they were lovers. But there are, at least the top ancient sources don't. I think there is one mention in a lesser source that they were. But the top ancient sources don't definitively say it, so we're left trying to read the clues. And there are some pretty compelling clues that they may have been lovers. They compare themselves to Achilles and Patroclus, who in that time were considered to be lovers. So that's an Um, another, uh, you know, that, that clue is enough, I think for some people to assume that Alexander and Hephaestion were lovers, but it doesn't quite get me there. Um, there are also some other clues like Alexander's reaction, his um, profound emotional reaction when Hephaestion dies. Some people would say, well, look, you would never have that reaction over, over just a friend, even your best friend. They must've been more than that. Again, I'm not convinced that it's for sure. But I think it's plausible, and that's really all that we can ask for from this kind of historical series. Is that they're presenting when they're reenacting things and getting into dialogue and relationships and stuff that we can't fully uh, verify in some in some cases. I just want it to be plausible. Is it plausible that Alexander and Hephaestion were lovers? Definitely plausible. I really think there's not a whole lot to see here. There's not a lot. For controversy if you're just looking at it, you know, from the sources. So, um, okay. Uh I should say before moving on from the subject though, that the way that they depict homosexuality in ancient Greece I thought was a little bit simplistic. Um, the the way the show works is you have this basically a, a mini movie playing out of Alexander and other characters. And as the many interspersed in the movie are scholars and historians giving context. And they basically leave us with the impression that homosexuality was completely normal in ancient Greece, that no one would have thought twice about Alexander and Hephaestion being lovers if they were, and that they didn't even have a word for homosexuality, et cetera, et cetera. So some of this stuff is true to an extent. I mean, I agree with it sort of, but the reality was they had their own issues in ancient greece it may not have been the same as our issues around this stuff but they had their own issues um you know it it wasn't some something where two men of a similar age in a lifelong relationship with one another would have necessarily been embraced um or not thought twice of uh it may well it it, w- it would not have been the norm and it may well have been discouraged or not considered appropriate for the time. We don't know for sure how some of these things were treated in ancient Macedon um, or or plenty of other city-states in ancient Greece. We know that some of the kings in Macedon had younger male lovers, like Alexander's father, um, as an example, and other kings. But again, there was a status thing. As long as you were higher status and as long as you were the the uh the top, so to speak, in some of these relationships, it was considered to be okay it wasn't considered okay to be more feminine and you know uh in lesser status so there were they had their own uh issues with all of this it wasn't some kind of utopia for gay people in ancient greece i um Again, there there are other places where you can do a deeper dive on this subject if you're interested, but I thought they treated it a little bit at a surface level. But again, as far as Alexander the Great and Hephaestion goes, I thought they portrayed it perfectly, reasonably. I don't think they were pandering to modern viewers by showing them this way. Yes, there's an early scene where they show them kissing and stuff, but um, there isn't a sex scene between them. They don't revisit it that much the rest of the series. so. I don't, I really have no problem with it, nothing to see here. Okay. Now, on to my second takeaway. I thought they really did a good job depicting the Persian Empire and Darius and his court. Darius is the king of kings, the ruler of Persia. A lot of times, when we see biographies and depictions of Alexander the Great's campaign, Darius is sort of an afterthought. And that's because to some extent he's an afterthought in the ancient sources. These are Roman sources and they're focused on the Greeks and they're not focused on the Persians. We don't know, and we also don't have as much writing about the Persians. So Darius is an afterthought in a lot of this stuff or he's portrayed just as a foil for Alexander. Alexander's the brave warrior. Darius is the coward that flees the battlefield. And he is only interested in luxury and stuff like that. And Alexander's traveling lightly and just wants to fight and all of these things. So there's some truth to some of this, but they don't fully flesh out Darius in most of these other depictions. And in this case, they do. Darius is one of the major characters. He's probably the second major character after Alexander. So I thought they did a really good job showing that this rivalry between Alexander and Darius, you have this younger upstart conqueror coming for this larger empire and Darius who's more a part of the establishment. And one of the things I found quite interesting was how they depicted Darius leaving the battlefield in some of these cases. His focus, he was focused on preserving this massive empire that he already ruled. And if he were to be injured or killed in battle, it would put the whole empire in jeopardy and the whole bureaucracy of the the Persian system. Um, and so he, in some ways, he had more to lose than Alexander, who was an outsider coming in. And, and, and again, that ultimately proved to be sort of a bad approach and a bad strategy, but it's understandable. And it's not necessarily out of cowardice. They even uh, uh, depict King Darius as wanting to fight, but kind of having to be convinced by his advisors and generals to leave the battlefield so that the whole empire wasn't lost in, one, in the death of one man. So I thought it was a refreshing take on Darius, and I'm glad that they brought Lloyd Llewellyn Jones in, who's a well-known historian and wrote a book about the Persian Empire in this particular dynasty, and he's even been on our podcast on episode 37, if you're curious and listening. So my next takeaway, they, I thought they did a great job diving into Alexander's psychology, this is something that I was really interested in a number of years ago. And again, you can read more about it on the blog if you're curious. But Alexander had a lot going on psychologically. He was interested in the ancient heroes of his time, the mythological heroes like Achilles and Heracles and living up to that kind of legacy. There's a really cool scene where Hephaestion and Alexander are at the shrine of Achilles at Troy. And I'm, I'm really glad that they portrayed this in such a major way in the series. They talk about Alexander's goals and they even discover Achilles' armor. And there's these little details that are that are from the ancient sources or, you know, maybe slight embellishments, but taken from the ancient sources to get into Alexander's psyche. They spend at least an episode, if not more, talking about Alexander's Uh, reasons for going to the oracle at Siwa in the North African desert and depicting that whole excursion and him wanting to find out if he was really the son of Zeus like his mother had allegedly told him. So the psychology aspect of it is good. Um, I will freely admit that a lot of this is on tenuous ground in terms of being able to verify what the psychology of a person like Alexander really was and what motivated him. Um, You know, it's hard sometimes to figure out what motivates ourselves or even close friends and relatives today, much less how do we get inside the mind of someone who lived thousands of years ago and the best sources we have on him are from hundreds of years after he died. Now those sources are based on earlier sources from his lifetime, but still it's some of it's on shaky ground a little bit. you have to look at all these it was filtered by the Greeks and by the Romans, et cetera, et cetera, but it is interesting, and I think there are strains of truth to 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 some of that, and you can compare it to his actions and see the rationale um so I've always been interested in it I'm glad that they dove into that in a deep way. People that are more interested in kind of the nuts and bolts and the of it all and the things that we can verify and for instance, you know. Uh, some of the strategy and tactics on the battlefield and Alexander as a general in those kind of subjects, they might felt like a little bit um, slighted by the or by the documentary or there wasn't enough um, substance there. But I'm personally a little less interested in that stuff and a little more interested in Alexander the man and what was going on in his head. So I found it quite interesting and quite, again, quite plausible in terms of how they portrayed that. So now getting into on the flip side, there were some strange inconsistencies. Uh, I did read a little commentary online about some of the the mistakes they may have made with some of the battles and some of the armor and stuff like that. And frankly, I know a little less about some of those details. I can't for sure say that the criticism was correct, but I'm sure they didn't get it all right. And um, I'm sure that mistakes were made on those levels and to some extent I I'm a little more sympathetic to that I think it's you know they're dealing with budgets and everything else so that's a little tricky but there was one very strange inconsistency that caught me a bit off guard and it made me have to go back and look at some of the sources to make sure I was correct because um it just struck me as so odd but there's a famous scene in the Alexander uh, biographies where after the Battle of Isis, Alexander captures Darius's family who had traveled with him to the battle. Darius gets away. The Persian Empire is still intact, but now Alexander has Darius's mother and wife and daughter, um, and possibly multiple daughters. Um, but so when Alexander and Hephaestion go to visit Sisigambus, who is Darius's mother Sisigambis confuses Hephaestion for Alexander and probably because Hephaestion may have been larger and more handsome or something like that. And so this is kind of a famous little vignette in the Alexander biography biographies but in the series they have replaced Sisigambis with Statira who is Darius' wife. And they've kind of rearranged the dialogue in a way. It looks like it was an intentional decision to sort of make an amalgamation of these characters and to simplify the narr- narrative a little bit. But then you get into this thing of, okay, well, if they're actually just combining characters and removing characters or putting dialogue in in it's from one character and attributing it to another one. Now we're getting on shaky territory a little bit here as far as, you know, as a viewer, am I watching? I think it's, I think it's fair for them to depict plausible, uh, interpretations and, and to make some choices around that. But once you get into just making decisions based purely on serving the narrative and the format that they're in and it's, and they know it's directly at odds with the sources, then I'm, starting to question things a little bit um they also go on to show that alexander had an affair with statira darius's wife and impregnated her and lloyd Llewellyn jones talks about how you know he thinks that he thinks that that's plausible because uh who else would have been allowed to have a relationship with the wife of king darius and and that sort of thing, and and apparently she really did die while giving child, you know, while giving birth. A couple of years later, but there's no other historical information that is pointing to Alexander being the father that I'm aware of. And I felt like they were going out on a limb there with some speculation. So when you start mixing all of this in with sort of like a speculation, um, but also making sort of uh, cinematic decision so to speak and and um, then you you just start getting into a, a little bit of a tricky territory and that brings me into my f- fifth takeaway which is we have to take this for what it is it's not a classic documentary um, it's a docudrama so it's listed on the Netflix site as a documentary and this is sort of correct in the sense that It's based on real historical events and we have scholars giving context and stuff like that. Um, But because we have a movie playing out basically reenacting this stuff and we know it doesn't always line up with the actual history and the dialogue is being to some extent made up, um, it's really an interpretation rather than a straightforward documentary. And that's why... I think docudrama is the right way to frame this up. Um, and as far as my overall bottom line on it, I really enjoyed the series. I thought that the casting was very strong. I thought Alexander, Darius, Hephaestion, Parmenion, and others were cast really well, um, Statera, et etc. And frankly, I thought the casting and the visuals of, of some of the scenes and stuff like that were better than anything I've seen related to Alexander, including the Oliver Stone film from 2004. Um, and that that film, the director's cut, I think, uh, has had a better staying power than the original film. Um, it's aged better, but still, it was a pretty weak outing. So maybe this series just doesn't have a lot of competition but I thought Alexander was good. I thought that it was entertaining. I thought that I learned a, a number of things. You know, anytime you've been studying this kind of thing and and then you see it brought to life, and it goes back to the last episode of the show with Joe Goodkin, who travels around doing his own original songs based on the Homeric epics. Anytime you're able to bring these stories to life, stories that you've been reading about and reading analysis about and stuff like that, always on, you know, just reading text, when you bring them to life, it's something interesting to see. And I thought this documentary or docudrama, I should say, was really overall well done. Yes, it's flawed. There's some creative license taken in some places. And There's plenty of details and things that they probably didn't get right. And I've covered a few of those. But when you've got really good acting, I thought the dialogue overall was pretty good and pretty believable. I thought they did a really good job on some aspects of Alexander, a better job than I would have expected, frankly. Um, It all ends with basically shortly after Alexander defeats the Persian Empire. So there's still quite a bit to cover in Alexander's campaign. So I'm imagining that this is all setting up for a part two to this series. And I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think that overall, I I really recommend it. Now, if it's all you're ever going to watch about Alexander, I would be careful because it's not definitive. I think that this kind of thing is great for pretty much two groups of people. I think it's great for people that have been really into this stuff for a while and that want to see a rare chance where we're actually seeing this cinematic depiction and uh, and kind of bring it to life. I also think it's great for people that are curious about the subject and it's kind of an entry point. So it's like okay wow this really was a compelling story I want to learn more about this and understand more about what happened here so I think it's great in those cases I don't think it's as good if you if you tell someone all you're ever going to know about Alexander the Great you're going to get from this one uh doc you know docu drama I think that's a little bit more tenuous I think people should be careful um but look I mean Maybe even that's better than nothing and you'll get the broad strokes of the of, of what Alexander the Great was all about and what this time period meant in history. So I really can't fault it too much. I, I, I'm not one of these people that's going to go over it with an extremely fine tooth comb and just criticize it for every detail gets wrong. I don't think that's the point of it. And I'm gonna look at it for what it is. I'm happy people are making stuff like this and trying to do a good faith effort to make it historically accurate. And I think on the whole, that is what happened here. So um, anyways, I recommend it. Check it out. That's my take. There's plenty of other criticism and analysis online if you want to hear from some other people as well. Thanks for listening and talk to you soon.